Well, it's New Year's Eve, two thousand and five, and rather than being out, I'm podcasting. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's going to be a lot of fun this week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello there, everyone. It's your host, Rico, and this is show number 18 of the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. I'd like to welcome everyone back to the show if you've been listening for a while, and also welcome any new listeners that may have found me via the internet or iTunes or any other search or word of mouth you may have heard about my show. Yep, this is the show all about uh, geeky Star Trek talk, Sci-fi talk and news, movies, TV, uh, all that kind of good stuff that I enjoy. So welcome to the show, everyone. This week's show is going to be a little bit different, though. It's it's New Year's Eve, and it just kind of worked out this way. But last week's at the end of last week's show, I kind of announced that this week's show was going to be about um, some kind of missed or missed by me at least, and maybe shows people have either not heard of or just kind of a little trip down memory lane about slightly older sci-fi shows, some that aren't quite that old. But uh, I'm going to talk about, oh, maybe five or six different uh, TV series. These are all TV series that I'm going to talk about on this week's show and uh, what I love about them, what I like, and um, just give you a little bit of background on on them and maybe uh, interest you in checking out the DVD sets that all these uh TV shows are putting out these days. Some of these are out on DVD. Some are still uh, waiting to be put out on DVD. So we're going to get to that in a moment. But the the first main thing um, I wanted to get to, well, we'll get to that in a second. I'm going to talk about the uh, email I've gotten this week. But I got a couple uh, brief uh, announcement type things I want to get out of the way. One, the main one is if you go to the uh, www.treksf or treksandsci-fi.com website, you will find uh, the link there to my collection area. And what you'll notice uh, is that I've, I'm have i using this new piece of software via my uh, web service called Gallery. And just what the name sounds like, it's a sort of a photo-type organizational tool in order for me to organize all of my prop and rec- replicas and collectible-type uh, stuff and get some nice, clean, and organized... Um, menus for people to look at the items that I have there. So I uh, highly uh, encourage anyone who might be interested in this kind of stuff. You know, these are like lightsabers from Star Wars and Star Trek phasers and, you know, other collectible things, some toys. Uh, I got a few new um, statue pictures up of uh, some comic-type statues, Superman, Batman, that kind of stuff, which I enjoy also. But anyway, uh, Take a look at the website, the collection area. I hope you'll uh, give me some feedback. Uh, send me an email at treksf at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about the new look there. Um, I think that was it, really, that I wanted to announce. Uh, just wanted to, uh, again, thank everyone for listening. Thank for the Thanks uh, to the everyone on the forums, uh, Frapper Map, all that good stuff. Again, you can see that all on the website. 
But uh, without further ado, we're going to get to uh, the email I got this week. And I got a few more than normal this week just because uh, maybe it's due to the holidays. People had a little more time. But I got three or four I think I want to go through quickly. So we're going to get to that uh, right now. Incoming transmission, Captain. Oh, just before I get to uh, the first email, I'm just saying um, I'm doing this Saturday evening. Uh, it is New Year's Eve. Uh, I just finished watching a movie, um, and uh, it's kind of quiet actually around here. So I, I thought rather than doing it on Sunday when it's usually a little more hectic during the day, it's a little quiet down here in my little studio, and I thought I'd record tonight. So hopefully uh, I'll get this uploaded either probably tomorrow morning I'll upload it. So uh, now the first uh, email that I want to talk about is from uh, a young listener named Ryan Hoffman. Ryan uh, is 14, and he says, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, as well as other sci-fi shows like Stargate Atlantis. Um, but he doesn't like, or he says he none are like Star Trek. He likes that the best. Uh, he also mentions, again, I'm not going to read this verbatim. I, I like to kind of paraphrase emails a little bit better uh, to... Uh, I can give my feedback at the same time as reading the email that way, so it's a little simpler. But Ryan says uh, that there aren't a lot of people around that he knows uh, where he lives that, that enjoy Star Trek, and especially at his age, you know, a lot of kids are, I think, into video games. A lot of them don't even know Star Trek very much, uh, I think, at that age, unless they maybe been exposed to it by their parents, kind of like I have uh, brainwashed my children a little bit, but... Um, but Ryan, I just want to, he always, uh, I wanted to say, he also mentions he, he plays a, uh, like an online role-playing game called uh, Dry Dock, but I'm not really familiar with that, Ryan. So he also sent some pictures of uh, a few items that he has in his collection, and I really, uh, he's got some nice stuff there. So Ryan, uh, I just wanted to uh, say thanks for listening to my podcast, and don't worry, there are a lot more Star Trek fans out there, and I know these, these days... Uh, Especially at the younger age, there may be not as many, especially with no Star Trek series on the air right now. But it, uh, I wrote him back and said, basically, you know, in the earlier days of Star Trek, when it was just reruns of the original series, I, I feel the same way he did or does. I had a couple of friends that enjoyed the show, but the Star Trek was very, you know, it wasn't like it is these days. So I, I understand how you feel, Ryan, but don't worry. There are a lot more out there, and, and try to... You know, the internet you have now, which I didn't have at that time, and also uh, there are conventions still. If you're anywhere near an area that might have a convention, that's a good place to meet other fans. So, Ryan, thanks for your email, and I uh, hope you keep listening to the show. Okay, the next email is from uh, a gentleman named Tim Stone, and Tim wrote that said, uh, he said that my wife and I, <coughs> excuse me, really enjoy listening to your Trucks and Sci-Fi podcast. He enjoys it while uh, traveling around, and he says it also reminds them of old episodes uh, lost and forgotten a little bit. Sorry to get a little drink there uh, for a second. Um, but uh, Tim says that he uh, really enjoyed the uh, Wrath of Khan uh, podcast, the one I did last week, and he says he's excited to uh, go and watch the movie again. He says, I know uh, you were pushed for time, but I would enjoy hearing thoughts on the Spock-McCoy mind meld. Heard that Nimoy said it wasn't done to set up his return in Star Trek Three, and that he had ever intention of letting Spock die. Um, Tim, yeah, I heard basically the same thing, and I think I wrote an email back to you. Basically, the story that I've always heard about that whole situation was that, yes, uh, Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek Two 
both for the script reasons and his own personal reasons to some degree, felt that uh, it would be important and very dramatic to have Spock die. You know, he sacrifices himself to save the ship. But um, he kind of had second thoughts a little bit and said, hey, you know, this is kind of fun. I'd like to do some more Star Trek movies. And the story that I've heard was that since um, he got to direct Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and part of the uh, sort of you know, agreement that happened was that Leonard Nimoy basically said, hey, I'll come back, I'll play Spock again, but I'd like to direct the next film. And they, they basically worked that out. So the mind meld thing with McCoy was put in there, I think both to sort of say, you know, that Dr. McCoy has that line at the end where he says, remember, uh, you know, he remembers Spock and they'll remember him and all. But it was just, there was a little slight thing going on there with, hey, maybe Spock's not dead. And there's a couple other lines at the end of the film, along with Spock's, um, you know, photon torpedo casket sitting there in the Genesis planet. So it was all kind of planned to some degree, but nothing uh, finalized until afterwards and Leonard Nimoy wanted to direct. So that's my uh, that's my take and what I've heard about that. So, But thanks a lot for your email, Tim. I hope you and your wife keep listening. Okay, the, uh, the next email here I have is from a gentleman named Matt Tiley. He says, Hi, Rico. I loved your podcast uh, on Star Trek II, uh, which he saw back in the 80s, he says, on a VHS tape, which, you know, one of, one of the things that people may not realize is that Star Trek II actually was one of the, um, was a fairly, uh, one of the earliest films actually to come out in general release on VHS tape. Uh, maybe not one of the not the first, but in an early release, and I, I distinctly remember when it first came out, it was really expensive. It was on the order of like $60, $70, which uh, nowadays, you know, you can buy these very nice and high-quality DVDs for like 15 bucks. so I just kind of thought about that when I was reading your email here again. Um, he mentions, he says, the secret of the Wrath of the Khan is uh, the characterizations of the three main characters, and, you know, this Kirk, Spock, McCoy, uh, and says they've never really been matched in, in you know, further uh, uh, Star Trek series in that, and films even. Well, I, I kind of agree with that, Matt. I mean, I, they've done some great Star Trek uh, through the other series, movies, and things. But but that main group, to me, was, was always the heart of Star Trek and what got me first interested in it. So it's always kind of a special place for me in, you know, when I think about Star Trek. That's, that's who I think of in that crew, so... Thanks for uh, your email also, Matt. Uh, keep listening. He's also, uh, Matt's from uh, the UK, which uh, that I've had a couple other listeners uh, I've talked to over there too. So, uh, hey, I guess I'm kind of international. Who knows? I think there's one in Germany, some in Mexico, Brazil. So that's kind of neat. That It's one of the nice things about the Internet and all this podcasting thing that I enjoy talking to other people from around the world and the people in the U.S., of course, too, which is the... Uh, most of the people I've been hearing from, but we'll go on to uh, one last email that I got. Uh, I just got this one today, actually, and I haven't had a chance to write back, so I'll just do this on the podcast. It's from uh, two people, Pam Pam and Doug. They say, hey, uh, hi, Rico, just finished listening to your Rathicon po- podcast while my wife and I were painting the bedroom. Hmm, I never thought of the podcast, my podcast, as a uh, kind of painting kind of thing i always like to play music when i'm painting but uh hey that's um, whatever it takes to you know have people listen to the show he says what a fun show thanks for doing it star trek 2 and 3 he says are uh, both films that he feels and notice uh every time he watches them he sees something new 
Oh, uh, uh, Doug says in this email that uh, one of the things he uh, uh, noticed in the commentary, there's a director's commentary by Nicholas Meyer about Star Trek II on the DVD, and there is a comment in there, I guess, by Nicholas Meyer. I haven't listened to that commentary yet, but he says, uh, here it comes. The line uh, where um, William Shatner says, here it comes when he first fires on the Reliant on Khan, I guess basically uh, one of the comments that uh, Nicholas Myers makes in there is that that line was one of the most difficult lines, I guess, for Shatner to do, and he kept doing it kind of almost cornball, and uh, that Nicholas Meyer was trying to get him to do the line straight and, you know, not too goofy because it, he didn't, you know, the for the scene, I guess, to work, he wouldn't want Kirk to be giving anything away by saying, hey, here it comes, Con, so... Uh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to take a look. You know, I've listened to a few a few movies lately, uh, the director and cast commentary, and it's always interesting to listen to those. So I'll have to pick that up and uh, or, or pop it in and listen to that uh, sometime soon. So thanks again, Doug uh, and, and Pam, for listening to the show. And that should just about wrap it up for email. I don't want to spend too much more time, but, again, I really appreciate all the emails this week. We're about uh, 13, 14 minutes into the show, something like that. I've got about five or six sci-fi series to go through, so we're going to get right into that. Uh, What I thought I'd do, though, I'm going to start off with a little nostalgic song that uh, takes me back to that uh, sort of lost era of of my youth a little bit. So we're going to play a little bit of this song for you guys out there and girls and men and women and whoever else, aliens, are listening. Right. Okay. Let's get on with it. So here's a little song. Take us back in time and get ready for some of my uh, favorite uh, past uh, sci-fi fantasy type TV shows. Here we go. Everybody's going places, doing things. Look at all the smiling faces. Singing, having a ball, doing the number. Well, 
Not everybody liked that. Not sci-fi at all. That was a uh, song from the Partridge Family, and uh, a TV show I used to watch all the time, and the Brady Bunch and that kind of stuff. So I just kind of like it, and it kind of gets me in the mood, makes me think about uh, those those times, those days, um, 70s era type uh, time frame. So without, uh, sorry, I got distracted for a second. Without further ado, we're going to get into the sci-fi I don't want to use the word classic. These are just things that I enjoyed uh, watching uh, when, you know, Star Trek wasn't on or, you know, back then I didn't have videotapes and DVDs. I could just pop in and watch things. So you had to pretty much live with with whatever the the networks were feeding you. And each year, of course, the networks would, would, you know, pop out there some new sci-fi shows. Not not as many maybe as there are these days. There was no sci-fi channel. Um, but, uh, you know, we usually would get maybe one or two a year, maybe if we were lucky. Uh, there was a show that started in the fall of 1975. And the way I'm going to do this this week is I'm going to play another big favorite of mine is is music from TV and movies. And especially the, uh, the theme songs that they play at the beginning of TV shows, especially the science fiction type ones, of course, because that's my, you know, favorite area. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the first show that I'm going to talk about here. I'm going to play the theme song from it, and most of you probably will recognize it, but I will play it, and then we'll come back in and talk about the the first show. That is the first season's theme of Space 1999. Yes, one of... Uh, now, Now this is a show, let, let's just say to begin with, this this is a, uh, a big favorite of mine. I, I watched this show all the time, whenever it was on, rerun, new show, whatever. It was, it was a big favorite. Now, again, this is the time where you only had Star Trek reruns, not a lot of sci-fi TV, not a lot of sci-fi films coming out. Uh, very uh, very sparse and and the show comes along space 1999 and like i said in the fall of 1975 and it was kind of like whoa what is this what is this show all about what's going on here uh you know the moon the first episode of, of this series the the moon is blasted out of earth's orbit by some kind of nuclear waste that's being dumped up there and 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 they that that flings them out into the galaxy and they travel around now I am going to completely, well, not completely because I'm talking about it, but I'm going to ignore the whole technicalities, the whole, like, hey, how could a, 
how could you push the moon out that fast without basically destroying it in the process um, and so forth. I'm going to get past all of that. Let's just swallow that little pill and accept it uh, for now. So this show basically was about the moon, which was their base of operations uh, in the year 1999, coming out the show in, in 1975, you know, only what 24 years in the future uh we don't have a moon base right now uh which is kind of unfortunate i wish we did still working on a space station but but this show just was 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 pretty amazing i mean it came out of jerry anderson in england it starred martin landau barbara bain several other very good actors i i feel um you know, Martin Landau is now a, an Academy Award winner. Uh, Barbara Bain, his wife, was uh, the doctor on the show, Dr. Russell. So, you know, and there's a, another character, Barry Morse, um, Dr. Bergman. Th- this show, though, had a, had a very unusual look, wh- which was different. You know, their, their, their clothing, their uniforms that they wore, uh, the special effects on this show were, were just amazing uh, at the time. I mean, these th- this miniature work and things that were put into space in 1999 sort of laid the groundwork for what, what turned into, and some of the people that worked on it actually, uh, laid the groundwork for uh, what was done in the original Star Wars films. You know, the the model work that was done, the way they, they did the, the motion-controlled camera work, all of that uh, was seen in the in the early Star Wars films, you know, before the uh, advent of computers and CGI and everything like that. So there's a lot going on here. Now, the uh, I can't spend a lot of time on each of these series because I want to talk about quite a few of them. But we'll just go through a few things. This lasted for two seasons. It was in syndication, kind of like uh, the Star Trek series, like Next Generation that ended up. So we saw it over here in the States. I don't know, it might have been right around the same time England was getting it, because like I said, it came out of England. But um, th- this show, the first season of it, was kind of uh, unusual. It was sort of a, a lot of metaphysical and, and strange things going on in each episode. They'd run into some aliens, and there'd be some strange music and kind of weird effects. and you know, there, there's But there are some really classic episodes. One in particular I always remember is in the first season called War Games, where there is a um, three ships that are coming at the moon base to what appear to be attack, and they're they, they're familiar. They're excuse me, familiar to um, the commander, Commander Koenig. Uh, they're, they're these hawks. They're called, and basically, what happens in this episode is they uh, send out some eagles, the the cool little ships that they would always go out into space with, and they they fire on these uh, hawks, and. What it turns out in this episode is that this whole thing takes place basically in in the commander's mind. The aliens sort of say, hey, they are testing them in essence. And I, it's hard for me to explain this in just a couple of minutes, but it, it's um, basically what happens is the, the moon base is destroyed, blah, blah, blah happens. They meet up with the aliens. The aliens think all oh, humans are all these aggressive species and You'll, you'll kill us, you'll kill each other and everything. And then you flash back at the end of the episodes where these hawks are coming into towards the base. And the commander at the last second decides, hey, no, we're not going to attack. We're not going to be the ones to shoot first. And the whole thing, what he they've gone through basically is, is gone. That doesn't really happen. So I don't know. It, it's just cool. It's just really cool. Now these are, Space 1999 is all out on, on DVD right now. I have all the DVDs of it, the, the two seasons. The second season, they made quite a few changes uh, in, the, in both the cast and sort of the way the show went. And, and 
I, in general, I think most people think the first season was more interesting than the second, but I, I like them both. Uh, they introduced a character named Maya, who was this shape changer in the second season. Uh, there are a lot of other things that change the the way the look the look of the show, the uniforms. Um, they introduce another security officer named Tony Verdeschi in the second uh, year, but they had some still some cool shows in, in both seasons. And I, I highly encourage if anyone's never seen this show, definitely rent a couple of them off Netflix or Blockbuster or wherever you go to get uh, your DVD rentals if you don't want to buy them and check a couple of them out. I, I highly recommend, uh, especially some of the early shows of the first season and, and some of the second season shows also. So space 1999, a lot of fun, still, still interesting and fun to watch. Uh, I really enjoy it. So now we're going to go on to a, uh, another old favorite of mine. This is something from, uh, the year 1977 and I'm going to play the theme song from this show right now. Yeah, that is the that's the theme song from the show uh, on NBC from 1977 called Man from Atlantis, starring Patrick Duffy. Now, the uh, Man from Atlantis TV series was a little unusual in that it started with uh, there were four uh, TV movies that were done. I think there were 90 minutes each. There was the pilot and three additional um, TV movies. They did a lot of TV movie movie of the week type stuff uh, back in that day that uh, they I guess they still do this but maybe it's more on uh, some of the other networks like uh, Lifetime or TBS or TNT things like that the the primetime seems to show movies sports and, and t- regular TV series I don't, I don't think they make a lot of they, they do but they're more special events anyway get all get past that um, but man from Atlantis was uh, was premiered in uh, as a series in the fall of 1977. Now, this uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars first film, came out in the summer of 1977. So, you know, the, the country at that time was, was way into science fiction, but, you know, in outer space, lightsabers and flying spaceships and that kind of thing. And then there's this uh, TV show on NBC that comes on, Starring this this webbed hand, web-footed guy that lives in the ocean, or or was from the ocean, or supposedly maybe from the lost continent of Atlantis, is is the assumption or guess. But basically, what what happens is he goes on a lot of a, a series of adventures with a submarine and his uh, partner, the scientist uh, Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, played by Belinda Montgomery, was uh, the actress's name. She she later was Doogie Howser's mom on on that show, so. There's another little aside. And Patrick Duffy, of course, went on to 
his biggest thing probably was when he was uh, Bobby Ewing on Dallas. Uh, so the, um, but this is Man from Atlantis before the Doogie and the Dallas shows. And he played a character named Mark Harris, which was actually a name given to him in the pilot episode, which is really cool. And you can find the DVD of that pilot on eBay occasionally. Uh, and, and I suggest, again, if anyone hasn't ever seen Man from Atlantis, to, to take a look at that sometime. It, it's difficult to find. It's not out there as much as, uh, like, Space 1999 or maybe some of the other shows I'm going to talk about. But you can find it. Uh, I have some of the episodes on videotape still. I think I have a DVD of the pilot, but that's about it. But anyway, um, Mark Harris would, would go and, and go through and travel the ocean and basically solve problems and things that would come up that involved the ocean. And he had a kind of an arch nemesis uh, played by Victor Bono. Victor, yeah, Victor was uh, Mr. Schubert, who was in the pilot episode. And, and basically he his, his goal in the pilot episode, I don't want to give too much away, but he was trying to basically flood the, uh, the world and, and kind of wipe out humanity. He was kind of... Uh, kind of an eccentric recluse kind of a character not really nasty or anything like that but just kind of almost i don't want to say a batman the old 1960s batman series kind of villain but larger than life uh and he would run into things and do things that would uh you know impact the ocean and it would get mark harris involved uh you know when he first shows up in the pilot mark harris has, has got amnesia he doesn't remember what happened to him how he got there but he is a, a creature. He can go on land and in the sea. He's more comfortable, obviously, in the sea. He ha, he has sort of lungs and gills in a way. But he can't stay out of the water for too long. And this happens in several episodes where he basically is kind of amphibious, I guess. No, well, I don't think that's really the right term. But he uh, he needs to be in the water fairly often, and that's where he gets his strength. He's kind of like a Aquaman or sub you know submariner guy or something like that. I mean, he can live out of the water, but he eventually starts to deteriorate and kind of dry out. So uh, there are quite a few episodes where, you know, he's almost dying unless he gets back into the water. Anyway, um, but this show was just cool. I mean, I, I love the ocean. I love swimming. I love the water. And this guy that could swim in, in the ocean and, and outrace a dolphin and, and you know, solve problems. And, and he was almost Spock-like in a way because he was kind of an innocent. He didn't... Uh, he didn't know a lot about humans and our ways and our culture. You know, like I said, he he didn't doesn't remember where he came from. So he's, you know, without making a bad joke out of it, he was definitely a fish out of water. And so, you know, throughout the series, which was very short, it was only about thirteen episodes, I think one one short partial season. It got, um, you know, he was trying to learn both about humans and and how to how to better kind of, uh, you know, just get along with people and learn about things like that and also solving problems you know he, he was out there trying to to stop things you know these larger than life villains and again i don't know how to go into and explain man from atlantis in in five six minutes or less but it's a cool show if you like the ocean if you like um you know a spock like character you know fish out of water kind of story try to see what you can find out on, on this show uh, like i said it's not out there I'm hoping someday it will be released fully on DVD. I think that'll probably happen. It's got a kind of a cult following, I think. So uh, I can see it definitely coming out on DVD, especially since everything is coming out on DVD these days. So Patrick Duffy, Mark Harris, Man from Atlantis, uh, awesome, fun show. Uh, I really enjoyed it uh, and still do whenever I can uh, find a, a copy of one of them to watch. So moving along... 
There was another show. Uh, Man from Atlantis was on NBC in the fall of 1977. There was another show that also premiered. Wow, two uh, two sci-fi type shows in, in the same uh, year premiering. Maybe it had something to do with Star Wars. Eh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, actually, these things were in the works way before Star Wars kind of hit. So, um, but the next show I'm going to talk about, also September of 1977, first started. This was on CBS, and I'm going to play the uh, theme song to this show. So listen to this. might be a little bit more difficult just probably like the last one was uh this uh that theme song excuse me was from the show logan's run yes uh for those that don't know logan's run was a movie with michael york which i talked about on a podcast uh a few podcasts back when i talked about some sci-fi movies that i enjoy this uh but logan's run got turned into a a very short uh, television series that premiered also in 1977, like I said, along with Man from Atlantis. Now, this show was was very short-lived, and basically it was a a story about Logan and Jessica traveling around in this very odd vehicle and kind of having adventures. And and if you remember the story of Logan's run, basically the sort of of remnants, I guess, of humanity or whatever, they're in these little dome cities and that, and they – escape uh from that sort of sterile environment into the the wilderness i guess in a way and what happens in with um the logan's run tv series is they travel around in this vehicle trying and then run into things run into different little adventures kind of like you know the enterprise going from planet to planet every week they would run into an adventure in a new little area that they would travel to and uh you know things would things would happen, problems, and they'd have to solve them. They were they eventually got accompanied, and I think it maybe happened in the first one or the second. I'm not sure, but they got accompanied by a uh, a robot uh, android type character. Yes, he was. Uh, his name was Rem, uh, played by Donald Moffat, um, who accompanied Logan and Jessica on their adventures. Now, the cool thing about uh, Rem was that he was kind of a precursor to Data on the Next Generation. He uh, he had circuits and things, but he actually had a lot of uh, I wouldn't call it emotions like like normal people would have, but but he didn't not have emotions like Data. I mean, he he got emotional occasionally in that. But uh, now this was a neat little show. They uh, they carried a lot of the uh, the look of the movie into the TV show. The 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 way the um, the Sandman, that black and kind of gray striped uh, outfit. They um, 
they also uh, they had a uh, Francis that chased uh, Logan and Jessica around, uh, trying to discover and find them and bring them back. Uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a short series, but they had some really neat episodes in it. Now, this is another series that's not available on DVD yet. Uh, you can find some of the ones that aren't available. Like I said before, you can find some of these on uh, eBay. Some DVDs. You know, basically, people would. Uh, would have recordings maybe on VHS and they nowadays with all the technology and computers and things you can convert those to DVDs and and some of the stuff that you can find out there that people have made from uh, old VHS tapes and put them onto DVDs is fairly good quality. I mean you can uh, you can definitely uh, appreciate and enjoy the show still. So, but Logan's Run uh, again they had uh, Heather Menzies was playing Jessica. It was um, Gregory Harrison who played uh, Logan Five. And they would go on all these little adventures in this, um, I don't know how to describe the vehicle that they were in. It was a, a long, like, silverish kind of thing that that I think was used in a couple of late 70s sort of end-of-the-world uh, type movies. Demolition? No, not Demolition Man. There was another, I can't think of the name of it, excuse me, but uh, th- this vehicle they travel around in, um, I don't know, it was supposed to be nuclear-powered, I can't recall, but... Um, but they never seemed to have to stop for gas, which was kind of interesting uh, that I can recall. Although maybe it did run out. Maybe I think it was solar powered. Yeah, that's what it was. It was solar powered, I think. But anyway, Logan's Run, uh, a lot of fun. It again, you know, these shows uh, were on at a, at a time where you did not have much much choice. And I'm not saying that that to to give it a kind of a bad connotation or to. Uh, to make it sound like these were bad shows, I, I I thought they were a lot of fun. Now nowadays, when you watch one, and I've pulled a couple of these out recently and watched them, yeah, there there there's some moans and groans when I'm watching them again, but uh, they were still fun. And, and I, I don't know, there's there's sort of uh, let me let me compare something right now. Um, the the current Battlestar Galactica that's on the Sci-Fi Channel. Now this is an amazing show. It's a great show. It has great acting, great writing. Um, it's very well done. It's a tight show. It, it's just good. It's almost too good in a way. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but, but let me, let me just say this though. The, uh, it, Battlestar Galactica, the current Battlestar Galactica versus the, the older Battlestar Galactica now, which I was a huge fan of the older Battlestar Galactica. Now I'm not going to talk about that as one of my shows this week because I'm, I've probably talked about Galactica before to some degree and, but there's a uh, sort of an air of innocence in these earlier shows like Logan's Run, like the older Battlestar Galactica, like uh, Man from Atlantis. You know, it was a more, it, this is going to sound contrite and, and kind of uh, maybe a little silly, but it, it was a more innocent time back then. I mean, I started this thing, or talking about these older shows, with the Partridge Family theme. I, I mean, there was a... The world these days, and I don't want to get all grim, and it's New Year's Eve and all that, and I'll have to go have a drink or something. But uh, hey, but I don't do that really. <laughs> anyway, um, but the uh, what I guess what I'm trying to say, let's let's simplify this a bit, is that there is a lot to be said for for a, a, a simpler, less complicated time and a less complicated show to sort of lighten things up a bit. I, I mean, I think sometimes these days people get a little bit too serious, a little too intense, and w- with television and movies being at entertainment, you know, sometimes people try to, 
they expect too much perhaps sometimes out of them. And I, I think we can use a show like this occasionally um, to just sort of lighten things up. And not that there weren't difficult things that happened in these shows or, or problems or gr- slightly grim things, but, I mean, nothing nothing like the current Battlestar Galactica and, and, and how bad things are for them and the Cylons after them and you don't know who's a Cylon and who isn't and all that. Now, that, it's a, I love watching that show and it's great, but I, occasionally I just want to pop in an old uh, Logan's Run show from the past or the older Battlestar or Man from Atlantis and just sit back and go, man, that was... Uh, it was a simpler, you know, nicer time in a way, I guess. Uh, and you still got to – I try to maintain that that idealism still to this day, and, and sometimes it's difficult. But uh, anyway, um, Man from Atlantis, Logan's Run, Space 1999. Now, Space 1999 had its own kind of feel to it, so that, that doesn't really fit this category. But um, So let's go on. Let's go on. Now I'm going to talk about the uh, the next show. We're, we're going to move up a little bit in, in time frame, probably about 10 years. Um, now, I wanted to say, I think I didn't say this at the very beginning. Just like when I did the sci-fi movie shows from the past, this this is no by no means any kind of definitive list. My top 10, my top 5, anyone's top 10 or 5. This is just stuff kind of out of, my, out of the top of my head a little bit. But things that I still think about from time to time, things that I'll still try to watch occasionally. But I've got a lot more, and I'll probably do another one of these kind of shows sometime in the future too. So just wanted to get that out of the way. These are things that I'm just trying to point out to people that may not have heard of these things before, may never have seen them, and try to give you a little bit of a taste or feel for what the show was like, um, and uh, maybe encourage you to go check them out. So... um, the next one, I'll play the uh, the theme song. Now, this theme song that I'm going to play for this show, it will be pretty easy to figure out what the show is, even if you don't really know the show. Now, this is from the uh, fall of 1987. This was a show that was on CBS Friday nights, uh, and it is a show that I just loved. Never missed it, and uh, my wife even watched this sometimes with me. So that uh, was a lot because she doesn't necessarily enjoy things like space 1999 as much as maybe i do so listen to this uh theme song and let me know what you think or uh, just uh keep listening here's the theme this is where the wealthy and the powerful rule it is her world a world apart from mine her name is Catherine. I saw her, she captured my heart with her beauty, her warmth, and her courage. I knew then, as I know now, she would change my life forever. He comes from a secret place far below the city streets, hiding his face from strangers safe from hate and harm he brought me there to save my life and now wherever i go he is with me in spirit for we have a bond stronger than friendship or love and although we cannot be together we will never ever be apart
Yes, for all the romantics out there, that was the theme to Beauty and the Beast. Uh, now, Beauty and the Beast, uh, this this show, probably most of the people listening to this podcast know this show, I would think, uh, maybe compared to the other shows, although you, you probably know most of the shows I've talked about. Maybe. Who knows? Um, but anyway, this, this is a little bit more... Uh, recent. It is a show that was on from the fall of uh, 1987, September 1987 to 1990, approximately. They did a couple of final TV movies, which uh, I'd rather not talk about. Things did not go well at the end for this series, which was unfortunate. Um, they did things that just, uh, they should have left it alone. It should have just ended on kind of a, a different note. Um, but anyway, um, this TV show starred uh, Ron Perlman in some... He was the Beast. He was made up as a big, basically, big lion-looking creature that lived under the sewers of New York. And a, a lawyer, an attorney um, named Catherine, Catherine Chandler, played by Linda Hamilton. You know, she was in uh, the Terminator films, the first couple at least. Um, they um, ended up... Um, I guess meeting, you know, in a way, I don't, I don't remember exactly the, the very circumstances. I mean, I remember basically what it was. She was attacked, basically, is what happens in in the pilot episode. She is attacked, and uh, she's actually hurt pretty badly. And Vincent saves her from these attackers. You know, she she lives and and works in New York, and Vincent, um, he basically has always had to hide himself from regular people he doesn't look like regular people now he's called a beast in this but he doesn't really look ugly he doesn't look beastly i guess he, he's like he's like a big lion but he's a huge guy and and, and i guess to, to some people that could scare him he doesn't look like a normal person so he stays under the sewers in new york along with some of other people some other people um mainly his father and some other people that have basically um well, they, they've they've kind of shunned society. They've they've kind of left it, and, and they live down in in a different kind of world underneath uh, New York City. And it's this sort of has an elegant charm to it in a way. But I'm I'm getting off what I was talking about the pilot. Um, so um, Vincent uh, the Beast he saves uh, Catherine from his her attack or her being attacked. Excuse me, and brings her down to the sewers below. Now now this doesn't go over so good with uh, especially his father and. Because they've always tried to stay hidden, and they're afraid that she may reveal their presence and that kind of thing. But of course, that doesn't happen. And she's very grateful, of course, to Vincent uh, for saving her. And uh, a a bond forms between them. Now, uh, before we go getting weird on this podcast here, um, they have uh, probably the most, I guess, sort of platonic, serious kind of relationship maybe uh, in the history of television without actually ever really uh, getting together or anything. So, um, you know, they, they hug a lot and that kind of stuff. But I, I, I don't, I don't want to lessen what, what it really was for the show because the show was just nice. I mean, they, again, maybe that's a common theme with a lot of these shows that I'm talking about, and I didn't realize that maybe when I first started the uh, recording, but um, the... Uh, you know, the, the point of Beauty and the Beast was that it's what's on the inside that counts. And again, it, it sounds kind of trite and it sounds sort of, um, you know, yeah, right, okay, sure, right. Um, 
but that that's true, I think. And I, you know, I try to to talk to people. I try to find out what they're thinking and try not to prejudge or overjudge or whatever. And it, it's uh, it's sometimes difficult. People don't always aren't always forthcoming with what they're really thinking. But um, I, I think that it's important to. To, to do that if you can. So Beauty and the Beast, though, um, what the what the essence of the show turned out to be was was basically um, Catherine's a lawyer. She would get involved almost uh, weekly, uh, amazingly, with uh, different problems, things that Vincent would have to save her from. And, and of course, he would. But there, there was a lot more to it. The, that whole underground city that they lived in, uh, that they had sort of simp- a simple life, uh, underneath, uh, you know, this complex city of New York, and th- that satisfied them. I mean, they they read from books, classics, and things of literature. Vincent was very well educated. His father had taught him. You know, they they occasionally would try to delve into how did Vincent come to be? Were there others like him, perhaps anywhere? That kind of thing. But he turned out to be very, you know, fairly unique. Of course, there was a. One of the, uh, I think it lasted, yeah, it lasted like four seasons roughly, the, uh, or three, three to four. There was one episode in particular that I, I really uh, enjoyed. It was in the early, uh, or in the first season, somewhere in the middle of the first season maybe or so. Catherine basically uh, and Vincent decide, you know, Catherine is sort of wrapped up into Vincent's world and his life, and it, they, they both kind of come to realize that, it's making things complicated for her. She goes out occasionally on a date with a regular guy, I guess you could call it, but uh, she's sort of uh, kind of in love with Vincent, basically. Now, what happens in this episode is she decides to to leave, kind of take a break a little bit from the city and kind of get her head on and straight or whatever you want to call it. And she goes out to visit a relative, I think it was, her sister somewhere out in the country or whatever. And and she's trying to basically figure out well what is she supposed to do what what is uh you know is, is she going to be tied in with this lion guy for the rest of her life or, or whatever and she, and she comes to realize that that's not such a bad thing that it, you know it's kind of a bird in the hand kind of situation to some degree and and she goes at the end of the episode rushing back to Vincent and and of course and and uh, realizes that that she is very happy just being with him in the way they are and you know they're they're not really together i think in the theme song they she says that you know they're they're not really together but they'll never be apart something like that if i recall uh the way it goes and that that to me meant a lot i I love that that particular episode i think it's called a simple life or a simpler life um now, Beauty and the Beast. I don't think I've not seen it yet, and I stay, and I stay pretty up on up on this thing, these uh, DVD releases. But it's not out on DVD yet, which which is kind of surprising a little bit to me because this this show does have a huge following. There are a huge number of fans of Beauty and the Beast out there. They've even had some conventions, used to at least, uh, with with Ron Perlman. I know, and he's done a lot of other movies in recent days, and has done a lot over his career, of course. Uh, Linda ha- Linda Hamilton. I haven't heard a whole lot about her lately, but but anyway, that I would I'm sure that the DVDs, if they're not out uh, out soon, they they will be. Um, so this show, I've got a lot of them on on tape, but uh, this is all a, a good show. This is a nice show, and it, it's it's a show that has a lot of values that are that are in the show. Um, 
doing the right thing is important, whatever the sacrifices sometimes you have to make. Um, I don't know what else to say. Beauty and the Beast, great show. Uh, definitely something that you could watch with a uh, wife or girlfriend or husband or, or, or boyfriend or whatever you might. Uh, it's uh, Get some Kleenex sometimes for it, though. <laughs> the last show. I think I'm going to only talk about one more because I'm already uh, – starting to uh look at the clock here for time but uh i had a two or three others i was going to talk about but one more will do it uh, that'll be a good roundup for this time and i'm going to do this again because this has been fun for me it gets me thinking about these shows and how much i i'd enjoyed them when they were on and, and miss them uh still and uh okay then the last show that we're going to talk about for this week this is a show uh started in uh 1989 on nbc and this show this show was great, and I, yeah, maybe I've said that about every one that I've talked about, but this show was great, and still is, and still is fun to watch. Timeless-type episodes, maybe that'll give you a little bit of a clue uh, on NBC, and the main actor on this show also eventually starred on a uh, Star Trek series. So here we go with the theme song for the last show I'm going to talk about. the theme song to quantum leap and this um this is a great show um i i don't know how if you're a fantasy-ish sci-fi fan uh you like good television i don't know how you can not like quantum leap um this show again like i said earlier premiered in 1989 and nbc i think they did a couple of at least one longer pilot episode for the first one it starred uh Scott Bakula, yes, Commander or Captain, excuse me, Captain Archer on Enterprise. Scott Bakula as um, Dr. Sam Beckett. And what happens in the pilot in the first episode, he steps uh, into this thing called the Quantum Leap Accelerator and he vanishes. And he's a physicist, he's a, he's a doctor, he has, you know, a lot of degrees, he knows a lot of things. And He's theorized, basically, that uh, it would be possible to travel back in time within your own lifetime. In other words, you know, I think he was supposed to be born roughly in 1950 or so. So he could leap back. He could quantum leap back up to, you know, that time frame, up to like 1950 or so, up to the present day uh, and any times in between. Now, the the hook or the odd thing about this show 
was that when he leaped back in time, he didn't like take his body and, and leap back in time. His, his consciousness, his his personality, his his mind basically would leap back into the body of somebody else. Now, w- what happened in each episode was that he would leap into somebody's life and. There was an observer named Al, played by Dean Stockwell, great, great actor, uh, really great in this show. These guys worked great together. Him and uh, and Scott worked great on this um, on this TV show. But Al would guide him, and basically each week, the the great thing about the show was that there was a little hook. He would leap back into say, um, you know, a mailman's life or or a. Uh, a major league baseball player's life. So each week he got to do different things. Now, if he looked in a mirror or something like that, you would you would see the character as it really was. You know, you would see uh, an older person or a younger person. He even leaped a couple times into a girl. Um, but uh, what would happen each week, though, try to get to that, there was a problem. Something would happen. Uh, th- this is sort of reminiscent, I guess, in the way of like the uh, Star Trek episode "City on the Edge of Forever." Something he was back in time in somebody else's life at the, for for a period of time, and he had to solve something. You know, maybe somebody was going to be hurt, and he had to prevent an accident. It was usually a lot more complicated than that. There were usually little things. You know, things things aren't always just black and white. There were little things that would he'd have to solve throughout the episode for the hour long episode that would allow him to leap back out. In other words, he had to solve a problem. Al would follow him along with his little computer hand link. And when he would solve the problem, when when everything was settled, and Al could bring up information about, you know, such and such his life, and, hey, this is what happened, and, and, and so on. And it wasn't always necessarily even the person he leapt into's life that he had to fix something about. It would be somebody maybe that they were um, in their family or a friend of theirs that they had to help out. Uh, and to convince uh, of something or or help them in some way. So the great thing about Quantum Leap, though, this this just opened up a huge number of possibilities. I mean, you could do literally almost any kind of an episode you wanted to do um, because of this. I mean, there were some really, really good, unique-type episodes here. I mean, I remember, you know, one of the classics was he leapt into a black man's uh, life, an older black gentleman from like the night eras of like the 1960s when um you know african americans were were being oppressed greatly and you know i don't remember the details of the episode but it, you know there was a, a big message in that episode i mean it was you know it was it was definitely you know sam would see things through the eyes of somebody else week after week after week and it was trying to, you know, by doing that, they were trying to uh, get the viewer to see things from a different point of view, a different perspective. And I, I thought it was just a, an ingenious kind of way to be able to do that kind of stuff. It's not just hitting you over the head with, hey, you know, we're just like everyone else. You should treat us like everyone else. I mean, he leapt into a, a mentally challenged man's uh, or younger man's life one week. Uh, what else? Uh, just all different kinds of it. He was even like a, a, in a test monkey's body one time. I think it was in a, you know, like for one of the uh, early space program things, which was kind of neat. I thought, but anyway. Um, now this, like I said earlier about uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Quantum Leap was another show that I, I my wife and I both enjoyed uh, watching together. Because this again, like I said, this is the kind of show that I think everyone would enjoy. 
you know, you don't have to be a big fantasy sci-fi type geeky fan to uh, to like this. And this is a good television show. These uh, shows are out on DVD. I don't know if they're all out yet. I think they're up to like maybe season three or so on DVD for Quantum Leap. Um, the only disappointing thing with the DVD sets is I think maybe not true with the first season, but the later ones they had to, they had a lot of music that was used for the different time periods that he would leap into. And some of the rights to some of that music were difficult to obtain. So I know on some of the DVD sets, they had to replace some of the background music and some of the things that were done. Uh, Scott Bakula is actually an excellent singer, and he there's a couple episodes where he sings in them. And but anyway, that's they're still they're still good episodes, even with some of the music switched in uh, for different stuff. So Quantum Leap, if you've never seen Quantum Leap, uh, you got to go watch Quantum Leap. I mean, you can these are DVDs you can buy. Right now, go buy the first season. I guarantee that you'll like it. So uh, listen to Rico. Go buy Quantum Leap because that's available. And Space 1999 and the uh, other ones probably at some point in the near future. So that's this week's um, talk about older, slightly older, in some cases uh, a a bit older, in other cases of older sci-fi shows. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this little trip down memory lane for, uh, for the week's show. I'm going to talk real quick. Uh, I'm going to take a quick uh, break here, and I'm going to talk about a new collectible that I just got about a week or so ago, and it's pretty cool, and I'll have some pictures up on the website, so I'll be right back, uh, and we'll talk about that for just a couple of minutes and then wrap things up. Okay, I'm back. Uh, The collectible I'm going to talk about this week is... A replica of the uh, the character of Dobby from the mainly from the second Harry Potter movie, Chamber of Secrets, and also from the books. You know, everyone knows uh, Dobby if you've read the Harry Potter books. He's in a few of them. Now, this uh, sculpture uh, statue type piece that I got is is approximately life size, pretty darn close to life size, I think. I picked it up actually at. Um, Online via the uh, Sharper Image uh, online store, they had a really good sale on it recently, and I, I think it may be out of stock now. But it's it's really cool. He's he's dressed in Dobby's kind of little sack outfit. Uh, the eyes are just amazing on it. It's made basically out of a plastic type material, painted and detailed really nicely. Comes with a nice little base and plaque. Um, there'll be some pictures, like I said, up on the website and in the podcast notes section area. Now this uh, this piece, like I said, is um, I got it at sharperimage.com. There are other places. It's made by a company called Rubies. Is the company that makes it. And Rubies makes a lot of costumes. They make uh, some Star Wars costumes and helmets. And they used to be kind of a little bit, I guess, uh, lower quality in a way. There are there are higher quality materials and and Star Wars things that you can get and helmets, better ones out there. But this Dobby. Uh, piece that they did is really really nice it's cool it um it it really looks like the character the way they did him for the movie and it's um it's a real nice addition to a collection if you're into harry potter i i suggest definitely check out uh some of the online places and see if you can pick up one of these they're they're really reduced in price right now and it's uh it's a nice little item to have you got to have some space for it which uh which is a little tricky because he's like about two feet high i think approximately so um, that's the Dobby item from Sharper Image Rubies, and um, that's the collectible for this week. And their picture's up, uh, like I said, via the notes in the collection section on the website, so take a look at that. 
Working. Awaiting input. Okay, that's going to just about do it for this week's Trek in Sci-Fi podcast. Uh, this is Rico. I want to just wish everyone out there who might be uh, listening to the podcast, or I guess you are listening to the podcast, if you're listening to this. Ooh, that's strange. Happy New Year. Happy 2006. I've really enjoyed doing these shows uh, in the fall to the winter, and I'm going to continue to do them as long as uh, I can. And um, I think I'm going to stop, though, for a little while. I I was getting, I was trying to get into the habit of announcing, you know, I'm going to talk about this next week and uh, this collectible and that. But uh, during the week, what I'm finding is I'm thinking of different things that I want to talk about and maybe want to sh- shift things up. So I'm not going to lock myself in a week ahead of time anymore like that. Uh, maybe uh, if anyone feels like it, shoot me an email and give me some feedback. Was that helpful to talk about what I was going to talk about in next week's show? Did it matter? Did it not? Uh, But for now, I'm going to stop doing that. No more talk about what's coming next week. It's going to be a big surprise. And I'm also this week maybe going to get out a couple of mini-casts like I keep talking about. I'm sorry I haven't done that yet. So uh, look for maybe something additional in the feed this week uh, from me. So, again, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're all safe and happy in 2006. So uh, go out there. Watch some of these old shows. They're good. They really are. So have a good week, everyone. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. This has been a Rick Dosti production. 